We wanted to let you know at the outset, today's program is a rebroadcast of one of our best episodes. Whether you're hearing today's program for the first time or you're a faithful listener, we're sure you'll enjoy hearing the great truths in this episode once more. Today, Lamenting Leads to Light. This is the Friends of Israel Today, where we teach biblical truth for changing times. I'm Steve Conover. We'll join our host, Chris Katolka, in a moment as we continue our series in Lamentations with our special guest, Renee Napier, president and founder of the Megan Napier Foundation. This week on Ask FOI, we're answering the question, who are the Samaritans and why are they so disliked in the Gospels? And as always, we'll hear a dramatic reading from the life of Holocaust survivor Svi Kalisher. That's later, but now let's join Chris with part three in his study of Lamentations. For the past two weeks, we've been discussing the topic of lamenting from the book of Lamentations. Books of the Bible like Lamentations and Job, Ecclesiastes, and all of the lament poems that can be found in Psalms, to me, it really gives the Bible some street cred. And here's what I mean. God never lied to us. In his word, he doesn't just paint the picture of everything's going to be okay. Everything is sunshine and rainbows. In the scriptures, he tells us without glossing over it at all that life can be hard. Life can be full of pain and suffering. And lamenting is the natural outworking of that pain and heartache. In each of the previous messages on Lamentations, which can be found at foiradio.org, I brought up the idea that Lamentations is a poem that's written by Jeremiah with a specific structure. That within the structure of the poem, there is Jeremiah sitting on a hill and he is looking out as as Jerusalem is burning and he is lamenting and crying over the loss of this sacred city. And yet in the middle of the poem, there are these words, these, these amazing words of hope. Lamentations 3, 22 through 24. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, and my favorite part. Therefore, I hope in him. Here is this passage that sits in the middle of lamenting that forces us to see that in the middle of our pain, God still gives hope. And that's why today I wanted to invite Renee Napier on our show to help us bring to life this idea that lamenting and hope can coexist. On May 11, 2002, a drunk driver killed Renee's daughter, Megan, and one of Megan's friends, Lisa. The driver, Eric Smallridge, was sentenced to 22 years in prison. And in the midst of this lamenting and loss of her daughter, Renee came to forgive Eric, and in turn, Eric decided to make something positive out of his tragic mistake. Less than two years after Megan's death, Renee began her journey giving DUI presentations to a multitude of audiences, including high schools, colleges, the military, churches, and DUI offenders. Since 2004, over 100,000 people have heard Renee and Eric's presentation, during which she tells the story of Eric's decision to drink and drive 
and the healing power of forgiveness. Renee, great to have you on the program. Oh, I'm so excited that you asked me to be a part of it. Renee, you know, I want to jump right in here. We're discussing these issues of what it means for lamenting and hope to coexist. Do you believe, with all that you've been through, that lamenting and hope can coexist uh, instead of working separately, that they actually work together? Yeah, they definitely do, because I would have never moved forward And I would have never been able to get out of bed every day if I didn't have that hope while I was grieving so deeply um, over my loss of Megan. Mm. What was it that compelled you to get out of bed? What was it in the midst of the lamenting that caused you to go, you know what, Uh, this can't happen anymore or else I'm just going to stay here wallowing in, in, in in, in lamenting? What was it that said, you know what, it's time to get up, it's time to... It's time to move out um, of this. Well, besides my faith, because I definitely had my faith, and I never, I never felt that God was not with me. I always felt Him there with me, even though I got angry and I questioned Him and I yelled at Him. But I will, I will tell you the, the thing, the three things that got me out of bed every morning were my three children who still were living, mm. because life is for the living. My dad always said that to me. And I always felt like that was a cold-hearted thing to say. but And he never said it during this time, but those words just kept coming to my head. And I thought, you know what? Those three children, even though they're adults, they still need a mother. And I have to do this for them. What is it about the gospel that provided you hope? We know what the cause of lamenting was. But what was it about—where did you find hope within the gospel that made you go, you know what, there's power here— that, that within the midst of the lamenting that I'm doing, right in the middle of it is the gospel, uh, the message of forgiveness. How, how did you find that within, within yourself to move forward uh, in your time of lamenting? Well, um, I, I, the scriptures. I had a lot of scriptures in my heart. And, you know, just when you have God's word in your heart and you bank on that every day— and you believe in him. I, I believe that God is definitely faithful. I've already had, had already experienced his faithfulness in my life. And I, I got up every morning and I recited the scripture out loud, uh, Psalm 118.24. Um, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I always followed it up. I said it out loud to God and I would say, God, I don't really believe that today. I'm not feeling that today. I mean, I believe it. I just don't feel it. And I'm going to continue to say it because of that hope. I believe that there is a day coming that I'm going to say that and mean it. And I've, and then the, the peace that surpasses all understanding, you know, God provided that for me so many times. And, and just relying on those scriptures in my heart that I always knew that, and, and then, you know, I knew that I'm a sinner. I, we're all sinners, and I knew that if I want to be forgiven, I have to forgive. And I had to wrestle with all of that. You know, I know that I have to forgive people, but, you know, how can I forgive this man for killing my daughter? But I also had to realize that there is no list of what you forgive and what you don't forgive, that it just says, you know, forgiveness. And and how many times? Seven times? No, 70 times seven. So I I just wrestled with a lot of those scriptures and just continued to believe that if I had, if I could be obedient to God, that he would be faithful to me and 
bring me joy again. And I was correct. It's amazing that you're saying this too, Renee, because as we've been going through the book of Lamentations, there's been two things that have popped out to me. The first one is this, is that even though the Jewish people were exiled from Jerusalem, they were cast away God still spoke to them. You know, when you would think that God, this is the moment where God says, you know, I'm done with you, go away. We often think God has left us or something like that. In the middle of our lamenting, God is still speaking to us. And that's what you said. You feel, you know, you had to almost remind yourself, God is still speaking to me in the midst of this lamenting. Absolutely. And that's exactly what it was, because he allowed me to be angry at him, And I honestly can tell you that I felt so much better after I yelled at him and just said, I don't understand this. You could have stopped this from happening. And it's not that we are selfish. I was going to say it's not that I'm selfish, but I am selfish when it comes to my children because I don't want to lose one of them. It's like, why didn't I leave this world and you allowed her to live? Why did she have to go? But, um, you know, there's people lose children every day, and it is something that is not natural, and it's harder, I think, to understand. But yet... I read Job a lot, (laughs) and I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, this man lived without, I mean, his whole family was wiped out, you know, in one fell swoop, and I just, I didn't understand how he could continue to be so faithful, and yet I did understand it, because God is faithful to us, and he loves us, and I knew that, that, you know, and that's where our hope comes from, because you just have to trust him and be obedient, because that is where he, he shows you his glory, and I, I really feel that being being um, obedient to him is why I've been blessed immensely since that time. And that's amazing because at the very end of the Book of Lamentations is is this these two words that stand out to me in chapter five, and you know in the midst of Jeremiah's lamenting, the Jewish people's lamenting of the destruction of the very thing that they held so sacred, you know there's this these two words that stand out: to renew and to rebuild. And do you feel as though that through this idea of the coexistence of lamenting and hope, that the fact that you grabbed onto hope, you were able to renew and rebuild? That's exactly right. And, and I just, I, and, and because of that, being able to go and share the story with the world has been huge for me also because I, it, it, it has not, it has ceased to be about me anymore. It is all about mm-hmm. God and His glory because if I can just help people have one teeny little speck of hope, then they can, they can grab onto that and move forward in their lives. And I have seen that power that God has um, as I share my story with, with you know, millions of people. I've, I've watched as people find that one little glimmer of hope, and they come and talk to me or they send me a message, and they cling to it, and then God helps them get out of the situation, the place where they are. And they do realize that hope can exist while you are lamenting. It, it is it is weird. I've learned to live with conflicting emotions um, from the, that particular moment that Megan died, and mm-hmm. they do coexist inside of us. Yeah, and you know, I am so thankful that you were able to join us to share about what it really means to have lamenting and hoping coexist. And uh, folks, I want to encourage you to visit uh, Renee's website. It's uh, Megan Napier's Foundation. And uh, we're going to put a, a link up there at uh, foiradio.org, and there you'll also be able to see uh, um, Renee on CBS News as well, uh, as she was recorded several times um, and interviewed for the amazing story that she has of finding 
hope within the midst of lamenting. And you know what also is really awesome, Renee, is that that's the God that we serve, that within the pain, he provides hope. That's right. Absolutely. And and I give him all the glory for everything that he has done in my life because he has done some amazing things. Praise God. What an amazing story of how God is able to take the ashes of things that happen in our lives to produce something new from it, from hope. And one of the things that I want us to take away from this series is this. Within the idea of lamenting, one thing that you get from the end of the book of Lamentations is this. God wants to restore us. He wants to renew us. And he ultimately wants to conform us into the image of his son, Jesus the Messiah. If you follow the news, you've probably noticed that the world seems to make a little less sense every day. Uncertain times can cause people to ask, what's life all about? Where have I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? You may even ask, what on earth is God doing? Fortunately, the Bible has answers to all of these questions. And in Dr. Reynolds Shower's book, What on Earth is God Doing? You can walk from creation to eternity in a compact, exciting, and easy-to-read format, It's guaranteed to change the way you look at the world. You'll understand the war Satan is waging against God and how that conflict affects history and the direction the world is heading. If you're looking for answers and want to understand God's plan for it all, pick up a copy of What on Earth is God Doing at foiradio.org. Do it today. Today on our Ask FOI segment, we're going to answer a question that came in from Stella, who listens to the Friends of Israel today through the podcast feed. So Stella asks this question, who are the Samaritans in the Bible and why are they disliked in the Gospels? There are two famous occurrences in the New Testament concerning the Samaritan people. The first is in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman at the well who Jesus speaks to, and as a result, she comes to recognize Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. All the while, it would have been extremely controversial for Jesus as a Jewish man to even step foot in Samaria, let alone speak to a Samaritan woman alone. The second is the story of the Good Samaritan who Jesus says displayed compassion toward an injured man, even though the religious priests and Levites passed right by him showing the injured man no regard whatsoever. While the Samaritans may seem like strangers and outcasts in the New Testament, they're actually a branch of the sons of Israel. They appear by name as the Samaritans in the New Testament, but their origins are explained in the Old Testament. In the history of Israel, the kingdom of Israel was divided after the reign of King Solomon. And the northern ten tribes of Israel split off from the southern tribe of Judah. Eventually, the massive empire of Assyria came knocking on the door of the northern ten tribes of Israel and led many of those from the northern kingdom of Israel into captivity, leaving behind just a few. Then the king of Assyria brought foreigners 
from other countries and settled them in the cities of the northern kingdom of Israel. And you can read all of this in 2 Kings 17, specifically in verse 24. Jewish people from the northern 10 tribes of of Israel unlawfully started marrying many of these transplanted foreigners. So that by the time you get to the first century, during the life of Jesus and the apostles, the Samaritans had already established themselves as what they would be, uh, to be considered the true sons of Israel. And so instead of Jerusalem being the place of God's dwelling, they believed Mount Gerizim was that place. They read primarily from the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, and they believed that there would be a Messiah-type figure that would come. Now, in my research, there's something that was very interesting that I found. Oftentimes in the New Testament, it looks like just the Jewish people hate the Samaritans, but Samaritans weren't fans of the Jewish people either. When the Jewish people were rebuilding and restoring Jerusalem in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, Samaritans made it very difficult for them to to rebuild by placing roadblocks in their way. And so there's that. And also, the Samaritans collaborated. I found this quite interesting. They collaborated with the Syrians who were waging war against the Jewish people. Now, on the other hand, about 130 years before Jesus was born, the Jewish high priest burned down the Samaritan sacred temple on Mount Gerizim. So you have this uh, hatred that you can see that's building between both the Samaritans and the Jewish people. So now, by the time, again, once you get to the, the Gospels, the Jewish people couldn't stand the Samaritans. First, because they were half-bred Jewish people from the northern tribes of Israel that were considered unclean, which is the reason many Jewish people stayed away from them and didn't even bother traveling through Samaria. Additionally, there is this emotional baggage each group carried for each other. The fact that the Samaritans attempted to prevent them from rebuilding Jerusalem and the collaboration they had with the Syrians and the Jewish people destroying the Samaritans' holy temple in Mount Gerizim. So there's really hate that you see on both sides. Now, when we read the stories in the Gospels that involve Jesus entering into the Samaritan community and speaking with the Samaritan woman in John 4, the tension is even more palpable, knowing the background. When Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, answering the question, who is my neighbor? That when a man is robbed and injured, and those who you would expect to reach down and help, the priests, the Levites, ignoring this man's need, and yet a Samaritan displayed compassion toward this man. That even a Samaritan was more of a neighbor to this injured man than his own people and the religious leaders of that day. You can see how Jesus in the Gospels is attempting to tear down the walls of animosity between these two people, both in story and in parable and in compassionate ministry. Israel On the verge of becoming a state, a teenage Holocaust survivor arrives on her shores alone. His name is Svi Kalisher. Little did he know his search for a new life in the Holy Land would lead him to the Messiah. Svi, enthusiastic to share his faith, engaged others in spiritual conversations, many of which can be found in our magazine, Israel, My Glory. While Svi is now in the presence of his Savior, His collected writings from well over 50 years of ministry continue to encourage believers worldwide. 
Now, Apples of Gold, a dramatic reading from the life of Svi. Israel is a small country, and at times we feel as if we are sheep among wolves. But even though we are small, we remain strong because the Lord is with us. Most people living in Israel, both Jews and Arabs, do not know the Lord. We believers are God's witnesses to tell them of that love. One day, some of my Arab neighbors came to my home extremely upset, saying, how can we receive Bibles when they include the New Testament? They were very confused, so I said, before you receive the Bible, I will explain it to you if you wish. They agreed and appreciated my help. I then opened my New Testament and told them how to put their faith in the Lord Jesus. The mention of that name surprised them, and they asked, How can you speak about Jesus? You are a Jew. So began a long discussion about faith in the Lord Jesus and the difference between faith by the sword and faith by love. I told them, Your faith comes by the sword, and those who do not believe as you do are killed. God has given freedom to every creature. He has said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31.3 One Arab remarked, God said that only to the people of Israel. I quickly turned to John 3.16 to prove that God's love is available to all nations, including the Arabs. It is written, You shall love your neighbor as yourself, Mark 12.31. It does not say love the Jew or the American, but not the Arab. Then they wanted to know how I came to believe in the Lord since I am Jewish. I replied, our faith did not come from propaganda literature or by force, but by God's mercy and love. You as Arabs came to me a Jew, and I received you as my best friends, even though I know you hate me with all your hearts. But the Lord said we are to love those who hate us, and pray for them because love is of God. Still, not understanding what I meant, one asked, Why do you serve in the army if you love your enemies? I explained, I serve because I am a citizen of Israel. Even Jesus said, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Matthew twenty-two twenty-one. I then related an incident that occurred during the 1967 Six-Day War. I went to the home of a wealthy Arab family and found gold and diamonds worth millions of dollars. The owners were afraid I would take their possessions, but I assured them, I am only looking for guns and ammunition. But if a soldier who was not a believer had come to search your home, your possessions would have been taken. As I finished my story, I explained to my guests, this is the big difference between those who believe in Jesus and those who do not. And it does not matter if they are Jews, Arabs, or any other nationality. They did not believe my story. So I offered to take them to the home of this Arab family so that they could ask them about it themselves. But they finally accepted the fact that even war cannot break our love for our enemy because the love of our Savior is in us. Please pray that these Arab neighbors and the thousands of other Arabs in Israel will be reached with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ.
The dramatic reading you just heard is taken from a feature you can read in our bi-monthly magazine, Israel My Glory. If you enjoy Apples of Gold, be sure to sign up for a free trial subscription when you visit foiradio.org. Our host and teacher is Chris Katolka. Our associate producer and engineer is Tom Gallion. Mike Kellogg read Apples of Gold, and our theme music was composed by Jeremy Strong. I'm Steve Conover, executive producer. I'd like to thank Renee Napier, president and founder of the Megan Napier Foundation, for being on our program today. To learn more about her work, visit the MeganNapierFoundation.com. Write to us at FOI Radio, P.O. Box 914, Belmar, that's spelled B E L L M A W R, New Jersey 08099. Or find us at FOIRadio.org. The Friends of Israel today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide Christian ministry communicating biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while fostering solidarity with the Jewish people. Thank you.